for a whole lot less. Well, hey, mayhem is everywhere, isn't it? Uh, it seems to find some of us more easily than others, though, and I, I, have to, I happen to be one of those people. Uh, and a lot of the mayhem, if, if we're honest with ourselves, right, is mayhem of our own making, right? And uh, I, I, it started really, for me, even as a kid, I was no stranger to mayhem. Um, I'm not going to tell you all the stories. There's too many to tell. But uh, just as an example, I one time ran a riding lawnmower into my grandparents' car right in the driveway. Um, I one time drove, I backed my, my dad's truck right into the brick wall in that same driveway. Uh, I've sustained countless bodily injuries. I can't even keep track at this point. Uh, you name it. I mean, I could fill in the blank. Um, I've created a lot of mayhem of my own making, and I wish I could say that I've grown out of it, but as you guys hear all these stories week in and week out, you know that I haven't, and so lucky for you, you get to have fun at my expense, but some of you are in that same boat, and uh, there are definitely times even now where I, I sometimes look at my life, I'm like, this could be an Allstate commercial. Like, anybody else like feel like that my life could be an Allstate commercial? Like, I've got concepts they didn't even think of, right? And uh, it's, it's true, and um, I think we all experience this at one level or another, at one time or another. We've all experienced mayhem. It comes in all shapes and sizes, but one thing is sure, nobody can escape it. Now, some of that is mayhem of our own making. Sometimes it's mayhem that somebody else inflicts upon us, and sometimes it's just out, it's completely outside of our control, right? Just the uh, experience of life itself brings mayhem. And at one point or another, you're going to see the effects of it in your life. Um, and, and we all have at this point even. Um, whether it's an unexpected trip to the emergency room or an unfortunate accident, uh, a heartbreaking tragedy, a betrayal or a breach of trust, a difficult relationship, or many of just the small ways that mayhem shows up every single day through busyness, stress, burnout, demands of daily life, uh, sick kids, setbacks, financial pressure, I mean, you name it. And if, if none of those hits you on the list, you know it comes in a lot of different forms. And um, so, I mean, really, we know that mayhem is just part of the human experience. And as Allstate claims, you're in good hands with Allstate, but I think that the biblical motto uh, goes one better. You're not just in good hands, you're in God's hands. And if I could just drill one thing home today, it would be that. And I think sometimes it's those simple lessons that we need to hear again and again that we need to really etch into our heart. And so if there's just one thing that God etches into your heart today, it's that. You're not just in good hands, you're in God's hands. In fact, this isn't just some nice platitude. It's not just some nice motto. It comes from the mouth of Jesus himself who said, in this world you will have mayhem. Okay, he said trouble. But in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And I love this because Jesus was talking about the future as if it already had happened. And he knows what he's going to do. He knows what he's going to do on the cross and what he's going to accomplish and how, and here just a couple weeks, what we celebrate on Easter, that Jesus didn't just stay in the grave, but three days later he walked out of the grave, right? I mean, this is the God that we're talking about that says and declares even before it happens, in this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And he speaks about this present moment, this past moment, as if it had already come about because any promise of God is as good as done. You see, mayhem is no match for our God. And, and no, God is not the author of mayhem, but lean in. Listen, he holds authority over it. The same God that commands authority over the wind and the waves who can walk on water and summon dead man out of the grave 
holds authority over every instance of mayhem you have ever seen and will ever face. Even that thing that you're facing today. God holds authority over mayhem in our lives. You're not just in good hands, you're in God's hands. And our hope throughout this Love Psalm series has been that um, it's, we've been able to breathe some life into you as we've looked more deeply into God's love as recorded in the Psalms. We've seen how God's supreme love functions in our lives, how it rescues, how it knows, how it forgives, how, how it brings life, how it's faithful. And today we continue with how God's love protects us. Now, one thing we all know, again, is that we will experience mayhem. We will experience trouble. The Bible makes that very clear. And while God doesn't completely insulate us from mayhem, we have a God who holds us amidst mayhem. And so today what I want to do just for a little while is just spend some time talking about the ways that God protects us. And by the way, this is not for, you know, guarantees for the way that God always operates. These are, we know that life is messy, but what we do know is these are some of the ways that we, we may see or not see that God guards us against um, things that uh, we experience in our lives, that God protects us in the midst of mayhem. So again, God doesn't promise to um, keep all trouble from us, but he does promise to protect us and walk with us through these things. And so we know that we have a God that has authority over mayhem. And here's some things that God does um, amidst our mayhem. And the first thing is this, that God guards us against things unseen. He guards us against things unseen. The psalmist in Psalm 91 says this, He will keep you safe from all hidden dangers and from all deadly diseases. He will cover you with his wings. You will be safe in his care. His faithfulness will protect and defend you. You need not fear any danger at night or sudden attacks during the day or the plagues that strike in the dark or the evils that kill in the daylight. A thousand may fall dead beside you, ten thousand around you, but you will not be harmed you will look and see how the wicked are punished. Now, if you, at first glance, you might read that and say, this is a guarantee that, there's, that nothing is ever going to harm me, that never, nothing is ever going to impact me. But what you have to understand, the way that this is written, that these psalms are often written in stanzas like a song, and there's key lines in there. That last line in verse 8 is a key line that really helps explain the rest of it, which is you will look and see how the wicked are punished. So what he's specifically talking about here is when we walk in the will of God and we walk in the way of God, we're going to avoid a whole lot of things that those that ignore and reject the way of God are not going to be able to avoid. In fact, a lot of those things are dangers that we might not have even seen coming or not understood or didn't even realize were there. I remember... Um, Several years back now, so Erin, who's um, our preschool director now, um, she was one of our students, and she was one of our student leaders. And um, I remember one trip that we had with our students, and we were going down the Little Miami River doing some canoeing. And Erin uh, was always eager, uh, even back then, and always the first to jump into a challenge. And uh, I remember we were out on the river, and there was just this big tree, like, up over top of the river, and it had, like, it just had a little, like, you know, like, way to climb up on there, and so on paper, it, like, makes total sense. Like, somebody made this to climb up on and jump off into the river. Now, I had been on that river many times, and one of the things that I knew about the river is that 
things were constantly changing, right? Like, just because at one point that was safe to jump off of, it might not be safe to jump off. So it's like, she's up in the tree, like, I barely have a chance to get out of my boat. Like, you say, hold on, because there's like five other students lined up behind her. I was like, wait, 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 don't go, don't jump, don't jump, you know? And so I go, and I'm like swimming, and there's this deep pool of water, so I'm swimming, and then as I reach the spot where she's literally about to jump into, I'm like, I just slam into something, and then I stand up on top of it. It's this giant log that's right beneath the surface. I like to remind her all the time about how I saved her life, because I legitimately saved her life. She, 10 or 15 feet up over the water, she would have jumped on that absolutely for sure, and One of the things that I often think about is how many of those moments actually happen in my own life where God's like, it makes sense why he did what he did. And maybe you've had those moments where you look back and you go, oh, I see why you said no to that prayer. I see why you, I see what was taking so long there, God, or I see why you withheld something from me there, or I see why you gave me this detour at this time, or redirected me in this way, or I see why that relationship wouldn't have been right for me. I see what you were doing there, God. I can, I can look back and see some of those things. You were protecting me from something hidden that was beneath the surface that I couldn't see from my vantage point. And we all have stories like that. And then I think there's going to be a lot of those moments where I get up to heaven and I'm talking to God and it all starts to make sense. And he's like, hey, hey, watch this one, you know. And I'm like, I see what you were doing there, God. I see what you were doing there. It was for my good. It was for, um, it, it, was, it was what I needed at that time. And I think that we need to pay attention to and really celebrate the fact and and even trust in the fact when it doesn't make sense because maybe you're in a season right now and you're like this season doesn't make any sense like why why does it look like like why am I experiencing this that I'm experiencing or why it just feels like things are taking so long it's taking God so long to respond but often what God is doing is he's protecting us even in those detours even in those long waiting periods, God is guarding us often from things unseen. And I, I sometimes, I, I, just, I just think that. I think that there's going to be times where God and I are having a conversation and he points out all the stupid things that almost resulted in my death. Like I, I, you know, that he providentially steered me clear of. And I'm glad that the words of Solomon have proven true in my life that many are the plans in a person's heart, but is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Because if my purpose had prevailed, I don't know where I'd be today. If my plans had succeeded, I doubt I would be alive, let alone where I am today. And I'm grateful for the God who has guarded me from unseen trouble. And so we give thanks to God knowing that he guards us from things unseen. The other thing that our God does for us as a protective God out of his love for us is that he vindicates us from those who bring harm on us. He vindicates us. And sometimes it's hard for us to really comprehend this side of God. Like, how could God be, you know, how could, he, how could he vindicate in this way? Or how could he bring his wrath down in the way that he does? But when you really understand what God's wrath is, is the other side of his, it's, it's the other side of the same coin, which is his love. He defends those that he loves. He cares for those that love him. And so he protects his children against evil, against things and, and people that, that bring harm upon them. The psalmist says this, I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. 
God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts. Some of you, that's just dinner time at your house, right? Men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. And so we get this visual here of what the psalmist is experiencing. He's experiencing, and I, I, I can't help but notice the descriptive language here, this idea of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, right? This idea of like, you know, you ever been just, attacked like verbally by somebody or you know you feel like you're in one of those moments where somebody's attacking you in that way right and for the psalmist here you know he's very much physically under you know and there's those that are hotly pursuing him right he is in actual danger there's those that are setting the trap for him to fall into it and the result is they've dug a pit for my path but they have fallen into it themselves and so God acts on our behalf. He acts on our behalf to bring about justice, which is freeing, because that means we don't have to be the one who is always bringing about justice on our own behalf. We can trust God to handle that, which means we don't have to take revenge. We can trust that God is the one who avenges us. Max Lucado, he writes about a 13-year-old named Nadine Corey. Nadine was five foot two and weighed soaking wet probably 100 pounds. His attackers were teenagers larger than Nadine and outnumbered him seven to one. For 30 minutes, they hit, kicked, and beat him. He never stood a chance. Corey's mom had recently moved the family to Philadelphia from Minnesota. She lost her job as a hotel maid and was looking for work. And in 2000, she'd escaped war-torn Liber uh, Liberia. Nadine Corey then uh, was a new kid in a rough neighborhood with a mom who was an unemployed immigrant. Everything a pack of bullies needed to justify an attack. The hazing began weeks earlier. They picked on him. They called uh, his mother names. They routinely pushed, shoved, and ambushed him. They came, then came the all-out assault on a January day. They dragged him through the snow, stuffed him into a tree, and sus suspended him on a seven-foot wrought iron fence. Corey survived the attack and would have likely faced a few more except for the folly of one of the bullies. He filmed the pile on, posted it on YouTube, and a passerby saw the violence and chased away the bullies. Police saw it and got involved. The troublemakers landed in jail, and the story reached the papers. A staffer on a nationwide morning show read the account and invited Corey to appear on the broadcast, and he did. As that video played of the assault on the screen behind him, he tried to appear brave, but his lip quivered as he watched it. He just said this, maybe next time it would be somebody smaller than me. Unbeknownst to him, the producer had invited some other Philadelphians to appear on the show as well. And as the YouTube video ended, the curtain opened and three huge men walked out, members of the Philadelphia Eagles football team. Corey, a rabid fan, turned and smiled. Uh, one was an all-pro uh, receiver, Deshaun Jackson. And Jackson took a seat on the couch as close to the boy as possible and promised him, anytime you need us, I got two linemen right here. Corey's eyes widened saucer-like as Jackson signed a football and handed it to him. Then in full view of every bully in America, he gave the boy his cell phone number. From that day forward, Corey has been only a call away from his personal bodyguards. You better think twice before you harass the kid who has 
an NFL football player's number on speed dial. It's a pretty good offer, right? Who wouldn't want that kind of protection? And each one of us has one better on speed dial, the God of love, the God of justice. The one who every bully, every evil will one day bow before. And we struggle sometimes in our Western context to understand this. But again, this is an aspect of God's love as he responds on behalf of those who love him, on behalf of his children. That's why he tells us in Romans 12, 19 to say, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So God often protects us in the way that he vindicates us from those who bring us harm. There's times where God saves us from ourselves. And maybe you have one of these stories where you know that you were in, you were living the kind of life that you needed to be saved from yourself. Psalm 16, 5 through 8 says this, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. My, you keep my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I love that line, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. You see, David understood that God's boundaries are for our good. He's not trying to rob us. He's trying to protect us. And again, I, I think sometimes uh, in, in our, our modern moment, we, we, we sort of operate in a way where we, we don't like boundaries, right? We, don't, we, we, we feel like we, we shouldn't have to, to have boundaries, right? We should be able to do what we want to do when we want to do it, and there shouldn't be any consequences to those things. But there are natural consequences to things, and so God, for our own good, sets boundaries up. He, he, he puts these in his words so that we can understand and, and really follow his direction, his will for our lives. So boundaries are for our good. We, we um, have a pond next to our house, and uh, uh, next to our property, there's this big old pond, this beautiful pond. Um, and the boys know, especially at their age, guys, I don't want you going out of the yard without me, right? Like, that's the line. You know where our boundary is. You know where that line is. We also have, we're on a busy road, but it's, it's about uh, a quarter mile down to the road. And um, the boys know, like, there's a barn out in front of us, and they don't go past that barn. That's the boundary. Don't go beyond that. Don't go over here, okay? You can go if we're with you, but, but not beyond that. And, um, you know, interestingly, my kids don't look at me and be like, oh, Dad, you're no fun, you know? They actually, if they understand what those boundaries are there for, and I explain to them, like, hey, guys, listen, I, I don't want you getting hit by a car. You know, they're not like, oh, Dad, like, well, we love playing in traffic, you know? They don't do that. They don't, you know? Hey, I don't want you guys falling in the pond, right? Oh, Dad, like, you're no fun, you know? No, they understand the point of it. And here, David, he, he's saying, not only do I appreciate your boundaries, God, but your boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. He's, he's experienced the fact that God is giving them the richest life possible by setting these bounds for him to live within. God's not restrictive. He's generous in his love. Like a good father, he uses boundaries. He also uses discipline and training, which may not feel good at the time, right? And sometimes we're in a season where we're just like, this suffering does not make sense right now, or this pain does not make sense right now. And it's in those moments where we often question God, and we're like, are you sleeping on the job? Like, what's going on? Like, why am I, 
why am I dealing with this? Why am I facing this in the time that I need you the most? Like, where are you? And it's in those moments where Hebrews 12, 5 through 7 reminds us that God is more present than ever. He says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one that he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship then as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. And so maybe you could see your current suffering through a different lens that perhaps God is strengthening you for something you might face in the future, strengthening you so that you can be more of the person that he has created you to be. God uses pain and punishment and suffering to shape us, to strengthen us. He uses it to train us and prepare us for things that we'll face in our lives. The early American Indians, they had this unique practice of training up their young braves. They'd, uh, on the night of the boy's 13th birthday, after learning hunting and scouting and fishing skills, they were put to a final test. He was placed out in a dense forest to spend the entire night all by himself. Until that point, uh, they'd never been away from the security of the tribe or from the family. But on this night, he was blindfolded, taken several miles away. And when they took off the blindfold, it was complete darkness in thick woods, and he was absolutely terrified. Every time a twig snapped, he visualized a wild animal ready to pounce. And after what seemed like an eternity, dawn broke and the first rays of sunlight entered the interior of the forest. And looking around, the boys, the boys saw flowers, trees, and the outline of the path. Then to his utter astonishment, he beheld the figure of a man standing just a few feet away, armed with a bow and an arrow. It was his father. He'd been there all night. And this is the picture of God in even our most difficult moments that he may let us endure something. He may allow us to experience suffering for our own strengthening, but he's never far away. And we can trust in that and we can know that even these difficult things that we face and even in this difficult season that you may be in, God has an ability to use those things to save us from ourselves, to help us become more of who he has created us to be. And the last truth is this, that one of the greatest ways that God protects us is by securing our future. And one of the scariest things that we can face sometimes is the future, the unknown future, but we know that as we put our trust in Jesus that our future is secure. In Psalm 125, 1 through 2, it says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. So the psalmist gives this picture of this mountain that, that everyone in that time would have been familiar with as just this pillar, this unshakable mountain. He says, listen, those who trust in the Lord are like that mountain. They endure forever. They, they won't be shaken both now and forevermore. I did some study this week on this topic, and one of the books I'd recommend if you haven't read it before is uh, this book by Tim Keller called Reason for God, and some of this stuff I'm about to share uh, comes from him. But um, in Greek, specifically Stoic philosophy, there was a belief that history was like this endless cycle. Every so often, the universe would wind down and burn up, um, and they called this uh, a, a palingenesia, which after which history, having been purified, started over. So it was like this this reset moment. 
And in this paleogenesia, um, this would be, again, every time it would be this reset. Um, but Jesus spoke to this sort of stoic thinking, and in Matthew 19, 28, what he says is he shifts that thinking completely and turns it on his head. He says, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, paleogenesis, so the same word, at the renewal of all things, the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. So he's saying, listen, this is a radical idea that at his return, Jesus himself will exert so much power that the very material world and universe will be purged of all decay and all brokenness. That God himself, that Jesus will invade every area of the cosmos and make it all new. And he'll do the same thing with every crevice of our heart, every broken part of our body, every heartache, every struggle, that God literally will make all things new. Jesus is foreshadowing that moment depicted in Revelation 21, 5, that says this, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Friends, there will come a day when all things will be made new. Your current suffering will be a distant memory that disease or ailment will no longer hold the power to afflict you. That stressful season will be a thing of the past. That chronic worry or fear or loneliness will be replaced with endless worship. That horrific tragedy will give way to triumph. And if not in this life, in the next, why? Because he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write it down because those words are trustworthy and true. At the climax of the Lord of the Rings, Sam discovers that his friend Gandalf was not dead as he thought, but he's actually alive. And he cries out, I thought you were dead, but then I, I thought I was dead myself. Then he asks the question, is everything sad going to come untrue? The answer to that question for those who trust in the Lord is a resounding yes. No amount of mayhem can rob us of what God has in store for those who love him. You're not just in good hands, you're in God's hands. I love what Romans 8, 38-39 says, and this is how we'll conclude today. Listen to these words. Listen to this truth. It's for you and for me. Paul says this, for I am sure that neither light, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's your promise, friends. You're not just in good hands, you're in God's hands. That song we used to sing, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got you and me, sister, in his hands. It's sometimes those simplest truths that are the hardest for us to grasp. But you have to understand and have to know and continue to put your hope in the fact that God truly is making all things new. His words are trustworthy and true. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your goodness, and just your presence in our lives. God, we love you. 
And we just ask, God, that you would continue to direct our steps, God, that your purpose would prevail in our lives, God, that we would be able to witness your protection even when life doesn't make sense, God, that we would continue to lean into the reality, God, that you are a God that we can put our trust in, that you're not just, we're not just in good hands, but we're in your hands. We praise you, we worship you, in Jesus' name, amen.